Welcome to Bible Idiots, the teaching platform for my husband, Pastor Chris Danielson. Today, he's going to take us to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, taking a look at King David and his road or his journey to kingship. Settle in because it all relates to our journey with Christ. Here is Pastor Chris from Fresh Encounter Church. Well, today is uh, part seven of the David series, and we call it David OFW. For those of you who might not have been along for the whole series, what does OFW stand for? Well, it's obedience, faith, and worship. And as you look at the life of David, the obedience, faith, and worship just comes out. And today we're going to talk about the rocky road to the throne. David had a rocky road to the throne, and many of you have a rocky road having the Lord Jesus on the throne of your life, and that's what we're going to compare and contrast today. We're going to 2 Samuel chapter 5, and we're going to go to 1 through 5, but we're really going to have a ton of scriptures today. So not necessarily on the screen, but I'll get to that in a minute. 2 Samuel 5, 1 through 5, why don't you stand for the reading of God's word? We read in the, in the great name of Jesus. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah 33 years. Heavenly Father, let these be your words to your children. Bless this message as only you can, in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. The nation of Israel is in a time of severe crisis. Saul, the old king, was killed by the Philistines in battle. The three eldest sons of Saul were also killed with him. This leaves the kingdom in disarray. So after Saul's death, David returns from exile and goes to the city of Hebron. When he arrives there, he is crowned king by the people of Judah. So he's now the king of Judah. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It appears that a change in dynasty is about to take place. Now, however... A little farther north, one of Saul's son, a man by the name of Ishbosheth, had survived. And yes, that's a very hard name for me to pronounce. Abner, who was the head of Saul's army, quickly proclaims Ishbosheth as king of Israel. That happens in 2 Samuel verses, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Now, this sets the stage for a brutal civil war in Israel. It also prevents David see the immediate fulfillment of God's promise to make him the whole king over all of Israel. So this is the background for the scripture passage. The road to the throne for David was a difficult and rocky road. It wound its way through some tragic and very dark side roads. Stuff that we've skipped over that we're going to glance back at as we've been going through 1 Samuel, now we're into 2 Samuel, and you're like, wow, dude, you're starting in chapter 5. Yeah, we're going to do some backglancing today because there's some powerful stuff there, but we got to get off the bummer train. I mean, if we study this deeply, there's like, if I went just in, in consecutive order, there'd be four straight weeks of just loathing 
and then trying to find the upbeat, and then loathing. This is different. This has an incredible parallel to your walk with Christ, and I'm going to show that to you today because many of us have had a rocky road to having Jesus sit as the throne of our hearts, right? So David's story winds through some tragic and very dark side roads. David has been scorned. He's been hated. He's been vilified. He's been hunted. He's been harassed. But eventually David ends up right where God has promised him he would. He ended up on the throne and as the king of all of Israel. Now, as I read and study the events that surrounded David's rise to power in Israel, I see parallel in the events of your life and mine. And if I was a scholar, I would say that last sentence as, I believe that we can execute a juxtaposition within David's parallels with our universe. You see, from the moment David was crowned king of Judah until he was crowned king over the whole land, there were problems and trials that fell across his pathway, and that's putting it lightly. In fact, there were some significant places, points of interest, at which the nation of Israel had to stop along the way. So don't miss this as we begin. It is, the, it is in the lives of most believers, from the time we are saved until the moment we reach that place of absolute surrender and Jesus is crowned king in our hearts. We face the danger of pausing in the same spots and locations. Now don't don't miss that. Once you are soundly saved, Jesus becomes Lord of all. That's what soundly saved means. But sometimes we become born again and then we take it back. So as we start our points today, we have to back up to the book of 2 Samuel a little and I'll give you references to look up later, okay? And I got an idea I'll bring up later. But let's go to point number one. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, you will find that David is in a place of partial submission. Israel is in a place of partial submission. Okay, the new king is crowned. David's big day has come. The moment he had waited for since he was a teenager finally arrived. He is accepted, adorned, and anointed by his people. He is crowned king by the people of Judah. And it must have been just an awesome off-the-chain day for David. All the years of isolation and exile are over. The years of being hunted like a wild animal have ended. The days of waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled in his life, they're at hand. It's happening. It's going down. Surely he must have thought that it would only be a few more days until the entire nation was bowing at the feet of the new king. But the challenges showed up as soon as the kingdom of Judah showed up. No sooner is David king over Judah than some unexpected things upfold, up, you know, began to up, unfold up north. Abner, in an effort to prop up the old kingdom of Saul, elevated Saul's youngest son, Ishbosheth, to the throne of Israel. All the people ex- except the tribe of Judah now bow to Ishbosheth and proclaim him to be the next king. The event set the stage for the real division within the nation of Israel. See, the fact of this division is clearly seen in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. And what we have here is two kings attempting to rule the same nation. Is that a recipe for trouble or what? So what does this have to do with us? Well, look at the parallel, or the juxtaposition, of the events and what happened in our lives when we come to Jesus for salvation. What was going down in your world when you turned to Jesus? You see, when we are saved, we get a new king. And I would just like to remind you today that that king, he has a name. And it's not just Jesus Christ or even Yeshua the Christ. It's Lord Jesus Christ. 
When a person comes to Jesus for salvation, they cannot accept him as Savior today and then make him Lord later. He is Lord Jesus. It's impossible to divorce his role as Savior from his role as sovereign. In other words, you cannot have Jesus as Savior unless you're willing to have him as your king as well. At true, authentic salvation, it happens automatically. See, there's an issue in theology called the lordship issue. And some talk about the fact that you have to then, as after you've been saved, you've got to work out the way to put Jesus and have him be Lord of your life. Because there's this phrase, and it's in my notes, that unless he's the Lord of all, he's not the Lord at all. But it happens when you have authentic salvation. He becomes Lord. But then you set him down and put yourself up here. You set him down and put other things up here. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's how this goes down. Now, I realize that some folks don't like or believe that, but your objections don't change the facts. Sorry. Jesus is Lord of all. Now, I'm going to give you some scripture references. They're not going to be on the screen. I'm going to do something tomorrow that I'm going to just let you know now, okay? I'm going to hit you with a bunch of scriptures, and if you can't keep up writing and you don't have time to go back, I'm going to be here at noon tomorrow for a Bible study lunch for anybody that wants to show up. Okay, and if enough of you can't because you're at your office but you'd love to join, maybe we'll even do a little Zoom link or something. The grounds is now open till 2 p.m. starting tomorrow, serving lunch. I will come with my Bible and my sermon notes and sit right here and any of you that want to join me. And if one of you show up, that's worth it. I will go through every one of these scriptures. We'll open our Bible for 45 to 50 minutes, have lunch together, and I'll take you through them all. So if you don't get this right now, come back tomorrow, those of you who can and if you say, hey, I'd love to have my office, but I can't leave my office, I'll, I'll put a Zoom link and a laptop down, whatever. I'm here to help you. But Jesus is Lord of all. Acts 10.36, Revelation 19.16, Philippians 2.11, or he is not Lord at all. In our culture, in our dark culture, I'm not talking about whether you're going to get to go to heaven or not. I'm not talking about the level of your faith. I'm telling you what the Bible teaches when you understand what Jesus has done for you, you give your life to Jesus. You don't add Jesus on to what you got going on. That's the disconnect in America today. Is it possible for a believer to offer Jesus Christ partial submission? Think about it. We come to him for salvation with good intentions. We want to be saved. We want to go all the way with the Lord. We want to be all in with him. But somewhere along the way, we begin to pull back. We begin to hold back areas of our lives that we control as we see fit. And we keep back compartments of our heart that we reserve only for our own use instead of laying everything at the feet of Jesus and acknowledging him to be Lord over every square inch of our life. We hold back areas, often large areas, over which we rule. And it may be some habit we refuse to lay down. It may be some person that we refuse to separate from or some person we refuse to forgive. It may be some activity that we refuse to give up. It may be some command that we refuse to obey. It may be some old grudge that we will not forgive. The possibilities are endless, but the results are always the same. When we do this, we are guilty of what is called partial submission to the Lord. We are saying to Jesus with our actions and our attitudes and our subconscious, we're saying, I want all you can give me. I want heaven. I want that get out of hell free card. I want your best, Jesus. 
but I will not give you my best in return. How many are living in that place today? Straight up. That always leads the person who is soundly saved into the same place every time. You know what place that is? Point number two, a place of painful struggles. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, through chapter 4, verse 12, you will see painful struggles. Because of this division in the land of Israel, a high price was paid by both sides. People suffered. Their partial submission to God's choice as their king cost them plenty in the form of painful struggles they were forced to endure. It was a time of terrible warfare. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it tells the tale. It says, there was a long warfare between the house of Saul and the house of David. I had that at two different slides. I want you to focus on that for a second. There was a long warfare between the house of Saul and the house of David. That's the first part of the verse. Those loyal to David and those loyal to Saul. Israel and Judah fought a bitter war over which party would rule the other. Because of this warfare, lives were lost. Property was destroyed. Families were devastated and lives were ruined. But in the end, the outcome was inevitable. Then we're told in the second part of the verse, check it out, the house of David became stronger and stronger and the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. It was a foregone conclusion that David and his army would win. This had already been determined by the will of Almighty God. If you are soundly saved and you're dealing with these painful struggles, check to see who's on the throne. The war has waged but the feudal war, and it'll, it'll all come to an end someday. See, when a believer's life is only partially submitted to the Lord, warfare is always the result. Always. Think it through. Think through your relationships. Think through your journey. Think through the journey of others. You see, the moment you are saved until the day we leave this world in this context, listen to me now, the house of Saul, your old nature, makes war against the house of David, which is the rule of Christ in your heart. This warfare is clearly stated in the pages of the Bible. It's, it's right there, right up in your grill. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 as a simple example. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, keep you to doing the things that you want to do. How many of us, and this is rhetorical, I don't need you to shout out or raise your hand, but how many of us are still, after walking with the Lord for decades, struggling with certain things? They wage war. This is not just some abstract thought. We all have experiences of real tra trauma this battle can cause. It is stated best by the words of Paul as he describes this battle from his perspective. Write this down if you're taking notes. Romans 7, verses 14 through the end of the chapter, all the way through chapter 8, verse 12. So Romans 7, 14 through 8, 12. Look it up later. David also talked about his uh, battle with the sins of the flesh. Psalm 19, 12 and 13 says this. Who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. 
Psalm 65.3 says, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. I want to show that to you in the most plain English, the New Living Translation. It says this, same verse. Though we are overwhelmed by our sins, you, God, you, Lord Jesus, have forgiven them all. Doesn't it make you want to get up on Sunday and come and sing? Come and open your Bible and just be in the presence of the Lord? See, I can identify with these men. Where can the saints of God find victory over this warfare? In total surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's the aspect of total surrender? Authentic worship. When the flesh rules, there will always be conflict in the soul. And we have preachers and teachers claiming to be Christ's servants who are out there teaching you how to be better in your flesh. And it makes me nauseous. There's always going to be conflict in the soul. When the Spirit of God rules, on the other hand, there will be peace and joy. And there's two chapters in the Scriptures that basically just smack down, lay it, mic drop. And that's Galatians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8. So if there's warfare in your soul today and you are paying a high price as the casualties of this war mount up in your life, the best thing you can do is lift high the flag of surrender, acknowledge Jesus as your king, and let his peace reign in your life. I'm not talking about being saved again. For some of you, it's the first time. Some of you think you've been saved and you need to be saved for the first time. And some of you are soundly saved, but you're struggling with this stuff. For some, though, it'll be the first time You've totally surrendered your life. That's the deal. And for those of us who've totally surrendered our lives and have taken it back from time to time, and when I say time to time, I'm not talking about months. I'm talking about hours. Okay? The Bible says daily in keeping with repentance we serve the Lord. Look, war is so often a tragic waste. In any war there are casualties. A quick look at 2 Samuel chapters 2 through 4 reveals that the casualty in this war were severe. Let me just name a few of them for you. Again, we're going to go quickly. If you can't write them down, this video, Mike Shaw might have it up by whenever. It's always on our website within a day. Or Facebook Live, just go back and go through that, whatever. Listen to all these, though. Chapter 2, we're in 2 Samuel the whole time here. Chapter 2, 16 through 17, many men died in the first conflict of this war. Chapter 2, 18 through 29 and verse 32, a young soldier named Ashel was slain by a seasoned warrior named Abner. In chapter 2, 30 and 31, 20 of David's men are dead, 360 of Abner's men die. In chapter 3, 27 through 29, Abner is murdered by Joab. In chapter 4, 1 through 12, Ishbosheth is beheaded while he sleeps by two assassins, and these assassins are then executed by David when they bring the trophy of Ishbosheth to David as if they're going to get a reward, and instead they get executed. Sadly, none of it had to go down like this. If Israel had only bowed to the will of the Lord and accepted David as their king, they could have been spared all that grief and bloodshed. Their partial submission cost them plenty. Now, think about the, own war, the warfare going on in our lives and of the times when we have walked in partial surrender to the kingship of Jesus. What has been wasted in our lives? Certainly time has been wasted. People have lost months and years of their life in service to God because they refused to bow in real submission to the king. 
Testimonies have been wasted. Opportunities have died before our very eyes as we wandered through the quagmire of partial submission to King Jesus. Some people have allowed the whole of their Christian lives pass by while they stubbornly refuse to yield to his absolute authority in their life. What a waste. Some call it a tragedy. And I tell all you this as one who has done just that. Do you follow? I don't come from a place of authority. I come from a place of brother and sisterhood. This is why we played the game. Won't it be sad to stand before Jesus on the judgment seat and be shown all of what could have been? Won't it be a harsh day when you and I have to stand and give account for all the wasted days, wasted opportunities, and wasted blessings? I know that God had blessings for me, but I would just, my personality would take over and I would do something stupid and waste a blessing. And then I'm the kind of idiot that would go back to God and blame him for giving me this personality. Oh, you're chuckling. I see I'm not alone. <laughs> you get past it by giving it over to the king each and every day. You continue to look to the future, even if a long way off or if it's going to happen again next week. So we thank God not another moment has to be wasted. The entire direction and devotion of your life can change in this very instant. All that needs to be done is for you to surrender all you have to Jesus and acknowledge him to be your king, your Lord, and your absolute master and savior. And he deserves nothing less. Wave the white flag over your life again. And then do it again tomorrow. And then the next day as well. Does that make sense? The famous preacher Chuck Swindoll gave a great illustration. He told the following story. He said, I was driving down a bumpy country road when I saw a bag of cement beside the road. It appeared to have fallen off a delivery truck as it hit one of those bumps in the rough road. Being a person who does not like to see anything wasted, I stopped to pick up that lost bag of cement. And when I reached down to pick up this heavy bag, to my surprise, I discovered that it was not soft and powdery as I had expected, but it had solidified into an immovable piece of cement. Often our lives are like that bag of cement. They take on shapes that they were not intended, and they become hardened in that shape. And that bag of cement was meant to become a part of some beautiful structure that because it did not reach its place of service, it became a useless rock in the form of a bag of cement. And God wants to make something beautiful of your life. Don't let his purposes be thwarted by a bump in the road of life. What a waste. And I think that I should also caution of what you think your life's supposed to be in Christ. Ray Comfort wrote an incredible work called uh, God Has a Wonderful Plan for Your Life. And in that, he exposes how fake Christianity and false conversions give you an idea that if you come to Jesus, he's going to make you a better homemaker, a better businessman, give you a better jump shot, whatever, fill in the blank. And that's not what Christ calls you to do. In your world, he does not promise you health, wealth, and happiness. He promises you salvation and peace and joy in the midst of your circumstances as he is the Lord on your heart and you're waving that white flag. That's what it's about. And those of us who know that we can never stand before a holy God without suffering the punishment that's due us, we know, know that he's taken that on, we can't help but celebrate it. There's just this joy of being forgiven. When this earth is gone, we are standing in front of the Lord 
as low-brow dog as I am, and as low-brow dog as you are, those of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ, he is going to present us in front of a holy God as if we've never sinned. We're going to be perfect. That gets me up on Sunday morning, I tell you. Well, all of this warfare and waste is going on. What is David doing? What is David doing in these chapters? If you read these chapters, he's not doing much at all. He is mostly passive as the battles are being fought around him. He's merely waiting on that moment when everything God has promised him will be delivered into his hands. For David, it was a time of patient but troubled waiting. When Jesus saved us by his grace, he saved us for a purpose. Do you believe that? What was that purpose? Well, he saved us to serve him and do his will in this world. I mean, a ton of you guys have confirmed it. God in our spirit, Emily and I's spirit, has confirmed it. His will was for us to come to Harlan, Iowa and share the gospel every Sunday without reservation and without apology. This is what the Bible says. This is the word. This is what following Jesus is. But he saved us to serve him and do his will in the world. What is his call on your life? Here's some more scriptures. Ephesians 2.10, Matthew 5.16, Colossians 1.10, Titus 2.14, Hebrews 13.21. Look them up. Yet while we waste our time with partial surrender, he patiently waits for the day when we will finally yield ourselves totally to him and his will for our lives. While he waits, he speaks to us about our condition. He speaks to us through the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13. He speaks through his infallible, inerrant word. Yes, the Bible is our final authority for our life here on earth, and we believe it word for word, cover to cover. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He speaks through a chastisement by using circumstances of our lives to get our attention. That bad thing might be going on in your life so that he can get your attention, maybe. Not always. That's called discernment. Check some of that out in Revelation 3.19 and Hebrews chapter 12, all of it, but I'll just narrow it down to 5 through 16 in chapter 12 of Hebrews. When he does these things, he is merely trying to show us that he has a better way for us to live our lives. You know, some of you have gotten a glimpse of my life, and you might think that outside of Harlan, Iowa, all these other places we've been is better than Harlan, Iowa. I'm here to testify it's not. Harlan can, can totally bite, or Harlan can be great. It's not the Harlan. It's what's going on in here. You want to know what the saddest thing I've had to experience in my life? Is I've been around people that have it all. I'm talking multi, multi-millionaires. Every toy, everything. Do you know how sad it is when someone is absolutely stone-cold miserable on their private Learjet? That's a sad thing to see. That's a sad thing to see. I don't have it in my notes, but let me tell you something. If you want that Rolex, you want that sailboat, you want that you know, sports car, when you get it, you will enjoy it immensely for 21 days. On the 22nd day, it's your new normal, and it doesn't mean that much to you anymore. And then you'll start looking for the next thing and the next thing. This is why some people can't accumulate enough Because it's been proven that 21 times is what it takes to break a habit. And 21 days is the joy you get with the things of the flesh. After that, it becomes a problem. Or it becomes just same old, same old. 
when the Lord does these things, he is merely trying to show us that he has a better way for us. So if we only yield to him, the warfare and the waste will be handed to him and he'll handle it for us. The casualties will diminish and the life will take on a new meaning. Now listen, when Jesus is recognized to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords in our life, he establishes a kingdom in your heart. You know what that kingdom consists of? Peace, love, joy, and blessings. That's what we all want. And it comes when Jesus is Lord of a life. Let's go to the last point today, and it's actually our text. Chapter 5, 1 through 5 is is the context, and and this one is called The Place of Profound Surrender. The Place of Profound uh, Surrender. After two years of struggle and civil war, all the people of Israel come to David, anoint him to be king over the entire land. This is the third time David is anointed for this office. The first was by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. The second was by the people of Judah. The third is by the entire nation. They are finished with partial submission. They crown David king of Israel. And they do, they acknowledge three great truths. These are important to our understanding of what it means for Jesus to be our great king as well. There is another time, this is another time when I'm standing on the shoulders of scholars much better than me. But these three great truths, I'm going to hit you with them. You ready? Acknowledge a relationship, acknowledge a responsibility, and acknowledge a revelation. Acknowledging a relationship, we'll start with that one. They come to David acknowledging the fact that there is a family relationship between them. They are saying, David, we are connected by blood. Only one with that family connection would have been fit to rule over them. And David had it. Note in the first steps in yielding control of your life, totally to the rule of King Jesus, is to recognize our connection to him. He is qualified to be our king because he died on the cross to redeem us from our sins. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Revelation 1, 5, Isaiah 53, 4 through 8. When we came to him for salvation, we became connected to Jesus by his blood. Communion, right? Most of us came to Jesus to get out of our sin trouble. That's what most of us came, that's the platform, that's the surfboard we rode in on was our sin trouble. But in any genuine salvation experience, there is also genuine desire to repent and serve the Lord. It says so in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 15, Titus 2, 11 and 12. In other words, a person comes to Jesus for salvation also understands that he or she is saying goodbye to the old life of sin and to a new life of service and submission to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 5, 17, Ephesians 5, 6, and 8. Sorry if that's getting annoying, but I got in mode in my office this week. So you can't have Jesus as your Savior if you are unwilling to have him as your king also. We have a culture that has been dominated by the idea that We want to bring you to Jesus as painless as possible. Just say this prayer. Just confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you're saved. So people say, oh, God's got a wonderful plan for my life. I'll add this Jesus on to what's going on for a while. Then they find out how hard it is and then they reject him. They never were converted. They never came to Jesus for salvation. They came for Jesus to help them in a time of trouble. 
we all, many of us, not all of us, but most of us, ride in on that surfboard of our sin troubles brought us to Jesus. But we have to recognize what we're doing. We're t- it's called being born again. It's called changing into a brand new person. That's what baptism represents. It is impossible to hold the Lord with one hand and still cling to the world with the other. The Lord in one hand and the world in the other is not going to fly. How many of you want to be married to somebody who continually wants to go have coffee with their ex-boyfriend or girlfriend? In the words of the great theologian Randy Moss, homie, don't play that. And neither does Jesus. Luke 16, 13 says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Some people have twisted that into saying money's bad. No, money's not bad. It's being enslaved to it. And money represents the things of the world. If you're enslaved to porn, that's your money in this verse. If you're enslaved to prestige, that's your money in this verse. If you're enslaved to having power over people, your employees or whatever, that's the money in this verse. You follow? Money's the easy one for us to recognize because we all have to have it. I know some will disagree, but it does not change the fact that Jesus is still and always will be the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you got him, you did not get part of him. You got all or you got nothing. Bada bing, bada boom. That's the fact, Jack. Now you have to acknowledge responsibility. Israel remembers the heroic deeds of David. They remember his power and his victories God gave Israel when he was leading the armies. They remember all that David has done for the nation and they realize they have a responsibility now to bow before him. Now if we would just stop to think of what Jesus has done for us, we would immediately see our responsibility to him. The very fact that he would die for us and save us while we're yet sinners and take our sins away and we no longer have hell to look forward to should cause us to bow in humble surrender to his lordship in our lives. If we acknowledge the fact that he saved us and we are also admitting the truth that we owe him our very lives, the very least we can do is surrender to him as our lord and our king. And then it lastly acknowledge a revelation. They verbalized their understanding of the fact that David was king of Israel by the will of God. They seem to grasp the truth that to bow to David as their king is to bow to the God, the Jehovah God, Yahweh, for their lives and for their nation. So it is with our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord, not because I say so, but because God has said so. Acts 2.36. So our duty to him is to bow to him, acknowledge him to be our Lord of all, do our best to honor him as our Savior, our Lord, our King, our God. After all, we are going to give an account to him someday of how we've responded to his lordship in our life. Romans 14. If we're standing in front of Jesus in 15 minutes, how important is that thing you're holding against somebody else? How important is the budget issues. If we are standing in front of Jesus in 15 minutes, how important is fill in the blank? See, it's all that matters. At the end of the day, when we stand before Jesus is all that matters in all of eternity. 
I've shared this with you before and I'll share it with you again. There's one game that's being played and it's your name's in the book or your name's not in the book. And it's called the book of life. And if you don't understand that, come see me or show, me, show up here tomorrow, have lunch with me. Let's bring it home. The road of the throne was long and hard for David, but he finally arrived there and was crowned king of all of Israel. Imagine the hardships the nations would have been spared if they had simply acknowledged David as soon as Saul died. But now, let's not be too hard on those folks. I'm speaking to people today who have yet to surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and King of your life. You are saved, but you are not totally surrendered to him. By the way, Jesus, became, the minute you became actually saved, he's the Lord in your life, whether you like it or not. Now, whether you leave him there or whether you're playing games with him, that's between you and him. But you're missing out if that's the case. And maybe Jesus is still waiting to walk that long, hard, rocky road to the throne of your heart. Now, I know we all have trouble in this area. I know I do. There are times when I seem to say, Lord, how about letting me sit on the throne for a while? You ever do that? I wonder how many of us are saying in our hearts something like this. God, being my witness, I want to enthrone him in my heart and life and declare him to be Lord of all. I want to bow at his feet and yield everything to him. Everything. What does everything mean? Everything. You mean I can't hold on to that? No, everything. I'm tired of the warfare. I'm tired of the wasted opportunities, Lord. I'm tired of making you have to wait on what is truly yours. I want to bow once and for all and surrender everything to you, King Jesus. And by this relationship you and I have, Jesus, I know that you are king by revelation, and I know that I have a responsibility to bow before you and enthrone you in my heart as Lord and King. Is that your heart today? If it is, follow through on that desire. Bow before him and end the battles, end the bloodshed, and enthrone Jesus in your heart. If you're not saved, realize that he did for you. Realize all of what he did for you. And come to the king for what your heart needs today. See, in modern Christianity, when you're trying to build a church and you've got an addition on and you've got the new platform that you're standing on, you shouldn't talk the way I'm talking, according to every expert in church growth. I'm not interested in church growth. I'm interested in saints' sanctification because I need strong saints to be around me when the balloon goes up. And so it comes down to this. Those who love the king, obey the king. Who said that? The king himself. John 14, 15, as we close. This is Jesus. This is red letters. If you love me, you will, you will keep my commandments. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for not leaving me in that place where I took the throne away. Lord, but we just thank you and praise you for all that you've done. And let our hearts just be filled as some Wave that white flag one more time. They've been saved, but they have not been walking right. And so they're going to wave that flag one more time. And then what about the ones who are waving it for the very first time? Lord, I, I ask that you would welcome them in and touch their hearts in a way that would last for eternity. They would always know their salvation. And Lord, I ask that you would help us with our doubts, that you would help us get strong for such a time as this. Be with us and keep us, Jesus. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from FreshRoadMedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener supported and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson and thank you so much for spending some time with us today and may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.